You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at Redeemer Bible Church. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. The text for this morning's sermon is Mark 4, 35-41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now, opening your word to hear from you. Uh, Nobody here this morning needs to hear my opinion about anything. They do not need to hear my anecdotes, uh, but we all need to hear from you. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would attend to the preaching of your word and you would give us eyes to see the glorious Savior this morning. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever known someone who is one way in public and another way in private? Do not point. Of course, this is true of almost everyone to some degree, but I'm, I'm thinking about those who you might describe as two completely different people, depending on where they are and who they're around. This can take on lots of forms. You might have a friend who can get you laughing to the point of tears when the two of you are alone, but in a large group, this same friend is fairly reserved. You may have a child that is the life of the party at home, but everyone outside your family thinks they're shy. On a more serious and painful note, you may have had a parent that was harsh and angry and even abusive in your home. But when others were around, they acted like a kind and loving Christian parent. Some of you may have experienced this with a boss who berated and belittled you and your coworkers behind closed doors, but, but put on a pretty spectacular act when more people were watching. 
similar dynamics can mark a marriage or a close friendship. But when you have a front row seat to this kind of two-faced hypocrisy, it can leave you unable to trust others because you're always fearing that they might be one person in public and another in private. Friends, here is one of the many things I love about Jesus. It doesn't matter where he is. It doesn't matter who's around him, whether he's teaching a multitude or in a private meeting with his disciples, he's always the same. Now, as we've worked our way through the Gospel of Mark, we have encountered situations and stories that reveal various aspects of Jesus's personality. We've seen him interact with different people in different ways. We have seen him comfort and confront. We have seen him redeem and rebuke. In this unfolding portrait of the God-man, we have seen a lot. But what we have not encountered is any hint of sin. No dishonesty. No hypocrisy, no insincerity, no ambivalence to the needs of others. And friends, guess what? This isn't simply the result of excellent editors who made sure the biblical writers only told us the good things about Jesus and none of the bad things. No, it doesn't matter the situation or setting. When the curtain is pulled back on the life of Jesus, you will only ever find a sinless Savior who can be trusted completely. This is why I love our text this morning. On the heels of Jesus' parables, Mark pulls back the curtain and we find a little vignette of Christ with his disciples. It's a very different situation than what we've read in this gospel so far, but it reveals to us a sinless Savior who can be trusted completely. In verses 35 through 41, we find one scene from Jesus' life. You already heard it read. But I want to split this one scene into three acts. In act one, we see the sleeping Savior. The sleeping Savior. This is verses 35 through 38a. Look at the text with me. On that day... When evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in a boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. If you take a quick peek back to verse 1, you'll remember that Jesus has been teaching from a boat. And so after a long day of teaching, the same day, along with his disciples, 
he takes off on an evening journey across the Sea of Galilee. The text tells us that other boats are traveling as well, but they are not mentioned again. So don't let your imagination run wild. I don't know where the other boats are or the other people. And apparently it wasn't important for you to know either. As Jesus and his disciples began what would have been a a couple-hour journey, what happened in verse 37? And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Now, if you grew up in the church, this is a story you've probably heard hundreds of times, whether in a storybook Bible or a Sunday school lesson. Uh, This is the kind of Bible story that is just perfect for a flannel graph presentation. (laughs) A storm begins to rage, and there is Jesus asleep in the boat, completely unaffected by the storm. Well, friends, this is far more than a cute little storybook tale. This is part of Mark's inspired portrait of the promised Messiah, the long-awaited king, the one who will defeat sin and death through his death and resurrection. This is no insignificant story. And frankly, this is no insignificant storm. First of all, realize that Jesus and his disciples are not in a little paddle boat. This vessel was probably close to 30 feet long. In fact, I was checking this with Jason Harrison yesterday as my resident Israel expert, and he was telling me they actually have discovered a boat probably just like this one. In fact, they call it, of all things, the Jesus boat. But this was not a small little paddle boat. It was, again, 25 to 30 feet long. There was enough room for Jesus to sleep in an area away from the disciples. Also understand that the text isn't just describing a a strong breeze. This is a legitimately terrifying storm with something like hurricane force winds. When the disciples think they're going to die, they're not just being dramatic. It's in the middle of all this that Jesus is sleeping. What are we to learn? from the sleeping Savior. Why this vignette? Well, there are many lessons we could take away, brothers and sisters. I want you to see the sleeping Savior, and I want you to be reminded of the humanity of Jesus. I have referred to Jesus already as the God-man. He was fully God and fully man, yet without sin. While we see both the humanity and deity of Christ on display in this story, when we encounter something like this, something that emphasizes his humanity, 
it should cause us to pause in wonder and amazement at the man, Christ Jesus. I love how Danny Aiken reflects on this. He writes, It is Christ's humanity that appears so clearly when he is in the stern of the boat, fast asleep on a cushion. The Bible repeatedly teaches our Lord's full and true humanity. He got hungry. He got angry. He cried. He died. Now we see him sleep. With this brief glimpse of the sleeping Savior, Mark invites us to consider the incarnation. The eternal God became a human. This staggering truth is expressed in John's gospel when he writes, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is the God-man, totally unique, no one like him. Now, when we pause to marvel at God incarnate, we don't simply see a sleeping Savior. This sleeping Savior will become a suffering Savior. And in his suffering, all those who trust in him will find eternal salvation. Repentant sinners are saved by the suffering and death of Jesus on our behalf. So, Christian friend, it is this sleeping Savior who will die as a substitute in your place, on your behalf, and for your benefit. I want you to think about all of that when you see him sleeping in the boat. Behold, the sleeping Savior. This brings us to Act 2, where we see the strong Savior. The strong Savior. This is verses 38b through 40. When the unexpected storm comes, faith gives way to fear in the hearts of the disciples. Trust gives way to terror. So what do they do? They wake Jesus up and they ask him a question. Look at me, uh, look with me midway through verse 38. And they woke him and said to him, "Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?" Now, there is a way to read this question as a reprimand of Jesus by the disciples, with, with maybe even a touch of cynicism in it. Something like, Jesus, are you really okay sleeping while we all die? Do you really not care about us any more than this? You, you could read it that way, but I don't think that's what is happening. I I think this is a sincere question 
during a time of absolute trepidation. I, I think they've been with Jesus for some time now, and they know he cares about them. And in the doubt and confusion of the storm, they ask a question they already know the answer to. Can any of you identify with this? Have you ever found yourself in the middle of some life circumstance that doesn't make any sense at all, and you've ended up asking a question to God that you already know the answer to? God, do you care about me? Can't you see what I'm going through? You know the answers, but you still ask the questions. Well, if that's you, you're not alone. Those who walked this earth with Jesus struggled to make sense of what they knew was true, but failed to believe when they stood face to face with seemingly impossible circumstances. One pastor said it this way, suffering disrupts our trust. We think God cares. And I would add, we know. We know God cares. But when suffering comes, it stretches our ability to see his care. In fact, it can seem like he's sleeping. I think there's comfort in this vignette for the Christian who defines himself where the disciples are, which is all of us at some point. Well, when Jesus wakes up, he is confronted by his terrified disciples and their desperate question, and how does he respond? He responds with two rebukes. First, he rebukes the storm, and then he rebukes his disciples. First, look at verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. This really happened. This is a true story. This is not a fanciful tale about Jesus to make him look good. This is the real Jesus. This really happened. In his initial rebuke, Jesus commands the wind and the sea with three words, peace, be still. It's fascinating to consider the words that are used here. The, the first command, which we have translated as peace, means quiet. And the second means be muzzled. Interestingly, the same word is used back in Mark 1.25 when 
Jesus rebuked an unclean spirit and the spirit obeyed his word and came out of the man. Oh, friends, while his sleeping displayed his humanity, his strength displays his deity. Jesus has power over the forces of Satan and the forces of nature because he is God. There is a song we sing often called Stronger. It's a song about the power of Christ. Here's the chorus. I'm not going to sing it. You are stronger. You are stronger. Sin is broken. You have saved me. It is written. Christ is risen. Jesus, you are Lord of all. I once heard a well-known Christian songwriter say that he doesn't like this song because the main line of the chorus doesn't resolve. He finds himself wanting to finish the line, wondering, you are stronger than... Who or what? But you see, friends, I think that's the whole point of the song. And I think it's captured beautifully in the fact that the main line of the chorus doesn't resolve. It doesn't have to. Because whoever or whatever you put up against Jesus, it doesn't matter. He is stronger. The unclean spirit has to obey him. And the raging storm must bow in submission before him. Why? Because he is stronger. The disciples should have known this. We should know this. This is why Jesus responds in verse 40. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? First, Jesus rebukes the storm. Now, Jesus rebukes the disciples. But what's this rebuke all about? What's underneath the disciples' fear? Why had their faith been so easily displaced? Well, here's the answer. The disciples had forgotten who Jesus was. The disciples had forgotten who Jesus was. Now, their problem was not a lack of information. Jesus had both told them who he was and he had displayed who he was. But when the storm came, the disciples revealed a dangerous disconnect. I love Jesus' response. Yes, he rebukes them, but what else does he do? Well, he reminds them of what they have so quickly forgotten. And, And how does he do this? Well, this brings us to the final act in this dramatic scene from the life of Christ, act Three, where we see the sovereign Savior. 
in the midst of this somewhat chaotic scene, at, at least from the disciples' perspective. These followers of Jesus are experiencing a dangerous disconnect. Because Jesus is both strong and merciful, he graciously reconnects the dots in a way that should fuel the disciples' faith and drive out fear. In verse 41, speaking of the disciples, this is what the text says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Friends, after witnessing Jesus speak with power over creation to bring calm to a storm, the disciples are still terrified. They're no longer terrified because of the raging winds that threaten their lives, but they're afraid of the power that Jesus has just displayed. In other words, fear is still reigning where faith should be ruling. The disciples had forgotten who Jesus was. This is the dangerous disconnect between their lack of faith. The implication of Jesus' words is this. And you can almost hear him saying this directly as he turns to the disciples and speaks. If you know who I am, then why are you afraid? If you know who I am, then why are you afraid? After everything the disciples had seen and heard from Jesus, they should have known who was in the boat with them. But let's give them a pass. Because we know what it's like to struggle with this kind of feeble faith, don't we? Now, here's what I want you to see as we begin to draw this to a close. Uh, take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Psalm 107 calls on a congregation to give praise and thanks to God for his steadfast love. And it does this by recounting four different groups of people who are in distress. I want you to see the group described in verses 23 through 32. The psalmist writes, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. 
verse 28, then, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. When this group went down to the sea and found themselves in the middle of a great storm, what did they do? They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he made the storm be still. The psalmist then makes it clear. Here's the point. The only one who can do such a thing is God. The only one who can do such a thing is God. The disciples should have already known this, but when Jesus spoke and the storm ceased, in that moment, all their fears should have been driven out by faith and trust because in that moment, they should have known that God was in the boat with them. Sovereign power over all creation belongs to no one else. Only God can do this. So this is the answer to the disciples' question in verse 41. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? In the boat, with the disciples, is a sovereign savior. One who is stronger than demons, destructive storms, and even death. This is the reminder that some of you need to hear this morning. In the midst of your suffering, God is with you, Christian. God is with you. In fact, what did we sing earlier? There's mercy in the waiting, manna for today, and when it's gone, I know you're not. That's really, really good. Friends, this snapshot from the life of Jesus invites us to see who he really is. And in response, it invites each of us to trust in him. When you turn to Jesus in faith, whether for salvation from your sin or for safety during a storm, your trust is not misplaced. 
there is another song we sing sometimes. It's a simple song. But sometimes simple songs can convey incredible truths that we need to desperately remember. The song is Jesus Strong and Kind. And there is a very real sense in which the disciples in the midst of that storm, in that boat, probably needed this song. It reminds us of something we so easily forget. That's who Jesus really is. So let me end by reading some of the lyrics to this song as we consider what we have seen in Mark 4 and as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. Jesus said, if I am weak, I should come to him. No one else can be my strength. I should come to him. Jesus said that if I fear, I should come to him. No one else can be my shield. I should come to him. Jesus said, if I am lost, he will come to me. And he showed me on that cross, he will come to me. For the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always Run to Jesus, Jesus strong and kind. Let's pray.